This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and I'm here with part two of this kind of two-part little look at the case for the rights of the unborn, a a pro-life case. And if you missed part one, I first want to say you should go back and listen to it, because what we're doing in this two-part series is talking about abortion and the pro-life cause in the United States of America. Particularly, we're driven by some uh, new headlines that are being made, both from the Texas uh, law that was enacted, but probably more importantly, from the Dobbs case the Supreme Court will be hearing in December. It's prompted us to look again at the biblical case, and that's really what uh, part one was, was a biblical and philosophical understanding of why Christians believe in a right to life for the unborn. But it also took some time in part one of the podcast to look at what are the common kind of pro-choice, that's the common terminology you'd hear, pro-choice arguments uh, for abortion. And so I would want you to go back there and take a look at that. But podcast one kind of ended with this challenge. It basically is Christians, if we are called to stand up for the rights of those who are made in God's image, and people who are pre-born people are so vulnerable, they have to have someone stand up for them. What should we do to work to end abortion and to fight for the rights of to life for those made in God's image? Because James 1.27 rules over us. We know pure and undefiled religion before God the Father exists. It's to look after, to give special concern for the orphan and the widow in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Christians have a moral obligation to care for those who cannot care for themselves. So doing and saying nothing is not an option for us regarding the right to life for the unborn. This is a profound issue of justice for the Christian, and it is inconsistent for us if we want to work for justice for people made in God's image to speak publicly about what would be popular and culturally trendy, issues like working against racial injustice, which Christians should do, working to end poverty, which Christians should do. And it would be inconsistent, though, for us to care about those issues, but never say a word about what is likely the most pressing justice issue in the world right now, which is the injustice of the murder of unborn children. So I think, particularly for my younger friends in the church, I often think you say so much about other justice issues and so little about the right to life. Why? Is it because of fear of social pressure? I think we have to speak up about this as Christians. But I also think there's a challenge that I have for my my older Christian friends, which is sometimes it seems as if their concern with issues around the right to life are entirely wrapped up in seeing the elimination of Roe v. Wade as the legal standard in the United States. And so I actually want to talk about that. I want to look at what actually should we be doing on the ground and what is our goal when it comes to the movement for right to life. And and here's the real question I want to ask you. As Christians, should our goal be to eliminate legal abortion Like our primary goal there would be to overturn the Roe v. Wade framework, or is our goal number two to end the practice of abortion, to limit the number of abortions and to see fewer and fewer abortions happen? Now, why does that question matter? Well, 
right now, you have a big Supreme Court case coming, the Dobbs case, where they just announced they will hear arguments at the Supreme Court level in December of 2021. Most legal scholars, conservative and otherwise, will say there is a very significant chance that after hearing the Dobbs case, there will be a rewriting or overturning of the Roe-Casey framework that is currently the operational law in the U.S. regarding abortion. So, in other words, if our goal is to eliminate the practice of legal abortion or limit the practice of legal abortion, it seems as if we're headed towards some very significant milestones as Christians. But I just want to press us to think a little more deeply. Have you ever considered what would happen in the United States if Roe v. Wade was overturned? Well, a lot of uh, legal scholars, a lot of sociologists have been looking into that question recently. Based on what my reading, this is coming from both conservative sources and more liberal social sources, the estimate is that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, the number of abortions in America would be reduced by 7 to 14%. I think, honestly, it's probably closer to the 7% reduction because of the introduction of abortive pills that you can get by mail, abortion by chemical inducement. So that's a little shocking to a lot of Christians because a lot of people would assume, well, if we overturn Roe v. Wade, then abortion goes away because Roe v. Wade is what makes abortion legal. And to say it bluntly, it's not quite that simple. If overturned, if Roe v. Wade were overturned, what functionally would happen is what rules over abortion and the right to life would be kicked down to a state level. Currently in the U.S., only 22 states have more restrictive abortion laws or are prepared to put those in place. But if you look at the states where the majority of abortions occur, places like California or New York, there would be no significant change in their legal structure and therefore, largely speaking, abortions would continue forward. So likely what happens if a Roe v. Wade is overturned is less that it makes abortion illegal across the board, more that it says this matter goes back to a state law level of oversight, in which case the number of abortions actually ended by overturning Roe v. Wade is significantly lower than many people would assume. There would be some restriction, but not near as much as we would think. And so I want to give a suggestion here. We absolutely should, as Christians, support pro-life initiatives on the legal side. So there's legal work that we do to limit the scope of abortion. But it's unlikely that that will be the most significant work that we need to do across our lifetime. Or maybe I could say it this way. It's certainly not the only work that Christians should be doing. What I want to suggest, too, is we have to look carefully at how we do that legal work. There are some who would say the only sort of legal measures we should put in are to make abortion illegal, period. Anything other than that is a moral abomination. And while I understand that from a moral framework side, inside of a democracy where we have to work with people and legislate through compromise, it's unlikely that full-scale elimination measures will pass and hold up. Likely, incremental approaches, more restrictive abortion access, things like that, will be more effective to limit the number of abortions, even though they would fall short of our ultimate moral goal. 
That has to do with how you legislate and work in a civil society, and that subject is probably subject for another podcast at another time. Now, we need also to consider this. Underneath this kind of work to eliminate Roe v. Wade that's been happening, it is really important to be aware of the condition on the ground in terms of the number of abortions performed in America since Roe v. Wade was enacted. So in 1973, Roe v. Wade was put in place. And the rate of abortion there in 1973 was roughly 16.3 abortions per 1,000 in the population. Okay, 16.3 per 1,000. Now, if you multiply that out with our hundreds of millions of people, that is a result of hundreds of thousands of abortions. It's a tragic number. That number goes from 16.3 per 100,000 to nearly 30 per 100,000 at the high water mark of abortion numbers in America in 1980. Now, I want to underline that. 1980 is the high point in terms of number of abortions in ratio to the population in America. Since that point in America... While not true every single year, it has been largely true that abortion rates in America have consistently declined from 1980 to present. They have significantly declined under both Republican and Democratic administrations. And honestly, they don't seem to decline correlating with the passing of more restrictive abortion laws, things like that. Why is that decline happening? That's the big sociological question. Well, there's several factors. Certainly one of the major factors is the wide availability of contraceptive measures, things where people are preventing a pregnancy from happening. And I know that's a simplistic explanation of a contraceptive, but that widespread thing means there are fewer babies who are conceived. Okay, so contraceptive measures. The second major reason is there seems to be a very, very clear statistical correlation between a drop in poverty rates and a drop in abortion rates. So in America, since 1973 to present, to be frank, despite what you might think reading the news, we have way fewer poor people in America by percentage today than we had in the past. We're actually doing pretty well in lowering poverty across the board. Okay, the other main reason, I think another main reason, is frankly among Western populations, there's a far lower birth rate. We have had a precipitous decline in the number of children being born, in the number of people who have as an aim of their life to have children. In other words, I would also tie this in some ways to the destruction of the idea of family and child rearing as a social good. You talk to a lot of upwardly mobile young people who get a college degree and ask them, what's the dream for your life? If you go back 100 years ago, family and children would be very high on the list for nearly everyone. I'm telling you, in talking with college graduates, very few go to that answer. And the ones that do almost say it sheepishly, like, well, honestly, I'm going to college, but I would really like to raise a family. Well, when you have a lower birth rate and a lower valuing of family you have fewer kids. That's just what happens. I think the final thing to note on why abortion numbers dropped has to do with actually a growing awareness around what is happening inside the womb. Think of the widespread use of ultrasound machines. I don't know if you've uh, had this happen to you, but Crystal and I, a number of our friends got these 
3D or 4D ultrasounds. I don't even know if 4D is a thing. But either way, I'm telling you, you look at that ultrasound photo from 20 weeks in, and that is a baby. You see it with your eyes. It makes it very real. And so the increased technological awareness of what's going on in the womb certainly has some impact on how acceptable abortion is. It becomes very hard to say it's just my body when you're looking at the face of your baby on a screen. And additionally, many of us know babies who are born very early. Zeke Veer, I mentioned him in the last podcast. We praise God for his life. He was born at 23 weeks old. I know many babies born very, very early who make it to a flourishing life on the other side. And so I think that kind of combats a lot of these notions of viability, et cetera. So the point that I'm making here is this is important. We are now, as of right now, 2017, I'll give you the rate. The, the abortion rate was 13.5 per 100,000. Remember, 1973, when Roe started, it was 16.3 per 1,000. 16.3 per 1,000 in 2012 was the year when in America, the abortion rate dropped below where it was when Roe v. Wade was enacted. We are at a lower abortion rate today. So the point here is this. It's not that we shouldn't work to limit the access to abortion through legal means. It's not that we shouldn't work to see Roe v. Wade overturned. It's that even with Roe v. Wade still in place, abortion is happening less today than it was when Roe v. Wade was started. The rate has gone down. That's important. That, that's an important thing to say. It, it underlines for us as Christians the point that I want to make, that legal means to limit abortion are very important. But there are lots of things that we can and should do beyond legal engagement to actually promote the social climate where fewer babies are killed through abortion. Let me give an analogy to help you think about this as we think about how to work for justice for the unborn. I want you to think about a, re- a river. Okay, You're walking by the river. You look over. At the end of the river, there's this giant waterfall, which is both beautiful and dangerous. And you certainly wouldn't want to be in the river because if you go over the waterfall, you're going to die. Then as you look over at the river closely, you hear something and you see children who are in the river. There are kids, multiple children in the river headed toward the waterfall where they will go over to disaster. What do you do? Well, the first moral obligation you have is to jump in the water and save those kids out of the river. We're going to call that relief and rescue. Remember that. When you see a child getting close to drowning, going over a waterfall, you got to save that kid. You immediately act to bring relief to the immediate need. But once you're on the shore drying off, I think you need to ask a second question, which is, if there are multiple kids in this river, how in the world are there so many kids in the river that you need to go back upstream to where the river starts. And you need to ask, where are kids getting into the river? Is there a bridge that's unsafe? Are people shoving their kids in the river for no... What's happening with these kids in the river? That question of how you keep kids from getting out of the river has to do with social development. Okay, And then the third question you should ask is this. If you pulled a child out of the river, they're dripping wet, they don't have a home to go to, all those things. You need to ask, how do I keep this kid who was in the river from ever going back into the river again. That has to do with rehabilitation. 
Okay, so what I just described is a multifaceted perspective on how we work for the good of people made in God's image. Certainly when we see people hurting, when we see children being aborted, we need to do all we can to jump in and rescue them from the danger of abortion. We need to work to limit the number of abortions. But we also need to go back up the river and ask, why is abortion happening in the first place? What are the social conditions that lead to people choosing to terminate the life of a preborn person. And then finally, we need to ask, once we've been able to help a young mom bring a baby into the world, what do we do to help her never get back into the situation where she has to pursue abortion again? You see, there's more involved than just limb getting kids out of the river to work for justice. So let's think through those layers. Let's think through relief, development, and rehabilitation. As Christians, what do you do in the work of relief or rescue to lower the number of abortions? Well, in this case, uh, I really think the work of many crisis pregnancy centers is central. Praise God for the work in our community in Ames of Obria. Uh, The work that Daryl and Kathy Bunting have done to support that ministry is awesome. And in a crisis pregnancy center, what we're doing there is not just providing medical care, which we do provide. It's not just providing an ultrasound so they can see their baby, which is happening. It's providing the support for a young mom who finds herself with a pregnancy she had not anticipated and helping her to see this is a opportunity for a courageous and good choice where she will be supported and helped through the process to bring the child to birth in that world, and ultimately to either keep that child and work for their good, in which case Crisis Pregnancy Center becomes a tool of connecting you with community support to help you as a parent, or for her to make the incredibly courageous choice to have adoption be an option for a flourishing life for her child. In all those cases, I think I named a few things. Crisis Pregnancy Centers, community support of young single moms, of people who have children out of wedlock, and also lifting up adoption as an option. These are all really important relief mechanisms that we have. Now let's talk about development. How do we address why people pursue an abortion to begin with? Well, in that case, on an individual level, or on a, on a social level, rather, we need to actually do work to lift up the value of marriage and family as God's place for sexual activity to happen. When we lift up marriage and family as beautiful and good, we limit the number of people who would seek abortion. Why? Because the number one indicator a person is going to pursue an abortion, it's connected to them having a child out of wedlock, out of marriage. Children born outside of the boundaries of marriage are far, far, far greater at risk to face abortion as an option than a child born inside of a loving family. That is just a reality. So we need to first lift up marriage and family as a virtue. That is a development issue. A social development issue is for communities to love families. That's a key deal. We can also, on a governmental level, encourage families flourishing. This is where things like a family or child tax credit can be a pro-life issue. This is really interesting. I'm not endorsing this policy, but Mitt Romney, he put forward a child tax credit uh, proposal in Washington recently this year. A lot of people denounced it because it was 
you know, spending money, etc. But Mitt Romney's reasoning, he, he cited this. He said, when we work to give f- dollars attached to children made in God's image who are born, we aren't just addressing, addressing a tax or a poverty issue. We're addressing a pro-life issue. You see, when we do things that lift families out of poverty, we address the social condition. We do the development work to work against the practice of abortion. Because as poverty goes down, so does abortion rates. So I think that's very good. Even on a developmental level, this is the sort of place where good legal work at state levels, particularly if the Roe v. Wade framework is overturned, you will need great state laws to restrict and define exactly how access to abortion can happen or in this case should be restricted from happening. I think that's what we should begin to work for in the development side. So we've talked about relief. We've talked about development. Now let's talk about rehabilitation. This has to do with how we care for those who may have followed through on the tragic choice to end the life of their child and face guilt and shame. This has to do with how, as a Christian community, we don't just fight for the rights of an unborn child. We fight for the restoration to dignity of a person who has gone through the practice of abortion. We, we need to preach a grace of Jesus and a love of Jesus that is so strong that we both lift up the beauty and dignity of children made in His image, and we restore sinners who have marred the image of God with their sin. See, all of us in the church community are guilty of murder. We're the people who sent the Son of God to the cross, which means we can go and we can restore people even from the most broken situations. If you're listening to this and abortion's part of your story, I just want you to know that there is no sin that is beyond the reach of the grace of Jesus to forgive and to cleanse and to restore. And Jesus can make you a new person. See, we need the good news of Jesus to not just move us in love and compassion toward kids. We need it to move us in love and compassion towards people who've made mistakes and who've sinned, even in tragic ways, so that the good news of the gospel gets to them as well. So in rehabilitation, it has to do with a care for the mental and emotional and physical scars that following through with abortion does. In all of this, the main goal of this kind of part two in our podcast series on pro-life issues is to go to all of you and say, silence isn't an option for Christians here. We have a moral obligation to speak for the rights of the unborn. And beyond that, we have opportunities, not just simply in working to see legislation overturned. That should be something we do. But also, we need to end the practice of abortion. We need to lower the number of abortions happening. And to do that, we need to do great relief, development, and rehabilitation work in our local communities. And so, the question might be, how, how are you going to get involved? I want to suggest at the most basic level of involvement the primary duty of every Christian is to lift up the value of family. You may not think of going home and being a great parent as an eternally significant thing where you work for the rights to life of the unborn, but by being a display of a better alternative, you are preaching something of the good news of Jesus to the culture around you that needs a better alternative. So one of the most important pro-life things you can do is go home and be a great dad today is to value the image bearers in your home. 
But beyond that, I want to ask, what do you have to give back? You might have financial resources to support a crisis pregnancy center. You might know parents in your church community who are trying to adopt, and you could support them. You might know a young single mom, and you could buy her groceries, and you could care for her, and you could show her the love of Jesus. You may have influence in some way to work to see systemic changes happen that get people out of just generational poverty. You might be able to employ and give a second chance. All of these things are part of what it looks like for us to care for people made in God's image. So as we come to the end of this uh, two-parter on the rights of the unborn, I just want to ask you again, this is something I've been doing in my own life, just trying to listen carefully to God. God, what are you saying to me? What's he speaking to you? What's he laying on your heart, on your mind as you hear this? And what can you do about it? When God speaks, how can you move into action? This is one of those that for me seems like there could be a clear call to many of us because the scripture is clear, that a pure and undefiled religion, the sort of thing that the God of this universe loves, is a religion that cultivates caring for people who can't care for themselves, that looks over the orphan, the widow, and the unborn. To do so works for the good of people made in God's image and brings glory to our Father in heaven. So what's God speaking to you? And how can you do something about it, Christian, to work for the rights of the unborn? Mm -hmm.